This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Good afternoon to you. I am Jason Kong here with... Ah, Sam Peterson today. Sam, no Mary today. That's okay. We'll we'll get through this, it right? Is, yeah. Well, you know, she gets her time off every now and then. We we let her have the day off. Yeah, you know, on the weekend, you know, you and I got to do all the I heavy know. lifting here. I'm but taking that's notes. Okay. Not that I'm marking it down, but I'm, <laughs> I'm taking notes. There's a scorecard here somewhere. <laughs> well, we've got a wonderful show lined up, and we're going to be talking about something that affects uh, just about everyone's pocketbook. We're going to talk about the economy, but we're going to be focusing initially on Social Security, and we're going to get into a discussion on inflation and retirement as well, and to have a well-rounded and thoughtful discussion on these subjects. We are pleased to welcome Professor Ann York, Professor of Economics at Meredith College. Professor York, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm glad to be here. We are so happy to have you, and Jason and I were just talking off air. I'm, I'm excited to learn from you today because I'm admittedly probably the not the most studied in the field of economics, um, but it's definitely some, something that we're paying a lot more attention to these days. Um, so to kick off, we wanted to start with you um, talking about Social Security and inflation. So right now, you know, we're about to see the largest increase in many years in Social Security right. payments because of the rate of inflation we're seeing. Um, so first of all, how does the government calculate the inflation rate? Well, the 5.9% cost of living adjustment in the Social Security payments is one of the largest that we've had since uh, 2009, and before mm-hmm. that it was in the 1980s. So let me back up just mm-hmm. a little bit, give you a little history lesson. When Social Security was first created in 1935, there was no adjustment for cost of living, no inflation adjustment. Mm-hmm. The legislation was written in such a way that whatever your first payment was, was going to be the same as your last payment. And in the 1950s, it finally dawned on Congress, hey, we are paying the people the same amount uh, each month, and prices are going up, so their mm-hmm. real income is going down. So they started passing legislation every now and then that would adjust the benefit payment each year you know, for a cost of living adjustment. And in the 1970s, we know inflation was a big problem then. And Congress finally said, instead of us passing legislation each year, let's pass a law that says that there will be an automatic annual cost of living adjustment. So starting from 1975, uh, Social Security benefits have, have gone up each January based on uh, a, the percentage change in the consumer price index. So they get the, the, that cost of living adjustment based on what the consumer price index has been for the previous third quarter. So I know it's hard to do numbers uh, <laughs> uh, over radio, but just a one number, for example, the consumer price index most recently was a number like 269. Mm. So that for July, August, and September of 2021, they took an average of the consumer price index numbers and then compared it to the average of those three, same three months from 2020. And so what was the percentage change between the third quarter of 2021 consumer price index to the uh, compared to the average consumer price index for the third quarter of 2020? 
And that's how they came up with the the 5.9% mm. for this year. So for someone with a $1,500 Social Security benefit, that's about an $88 increase mm-hmm. that they will see uh, in January. But of course, it's it's good that they have that increase, but their real income is probably about the same. But it's good that, that Congress finally uh, change Social Security benefits to adjust with the rate of inflation each year. Definitely. Uh, so what are some of the causes of this inflation rate increase? Well, there are two reasons that we have inflation, j- just two general economic reasons, and we have both of them right now in our economy. First reason is you probably heard a, a, a concept called too much money chasing too few goods. Mm-hmm. And for countries with hyperinflation issues, that is because their government is cranking up the printing press to print money, uh, and then and the real value of money then decreases. And we have seen we, – we're not going to have a hyperinflation issue in the United States. But we've had seen, because of the pandemic and, and the economic damage that the pandemic did, the Federal Reserve in the United States uh, did uh, increase reserves in the banking system, and they did everything they could to lower interest rates to try to put more money into the economy. And, of course, the federal government with the stimulus payments also put a lot of money into the economy. Mm-hmm. So we've had a, an increase in our, our money supply, so that's one reason. But also, I think everybody is well aware of the shortages we're having now. Yes, we the are. The pandemic has caused... Um, with the close, with the shutdowns, and you know, a, a lot of countries doing lockdowns, and then their their workers can't go to the factories. It slows everything down. You know, things just are moving a lot slower than they were before through the supply chain uh, pipeline. And we have had a lot of uh, changes in demand. You know, because of the pandemic, we're not buying as many services as we did before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for a while, it, because of social distancing, you, you couldn't, for example, get your nails done at a nail salon because those businesses were shut for a while. So people, instead of spending money on services, they would spend money on goods. The, you know, the toilet paper crisis, mm-hmm. we're, we're trapped at home, need more <laughs> toilet paper at home. We're uh, making dinner at home instead of going to restaurants. So that also is... Make, causing there to be more demand at grocery stores versus restaurants. And the supply chain has also had to adjust to those changes in demand because of changes in our buying habits. Hmm. So the thought, though, is that our inflation problem hopefully will be temporary once we just iron out all these problems in the supply chain. But that's that's the million-dollar question that no one can really answer, is how long these shortages will continue and mm-hmm. how long – these, this 4 or 5% inflation will be a problem. Hopefully, we'll be back down to 1% to 2% inflation like we've had in recent years. Yeah, would be wonderful. I know a lot of people have been thinking about that, too, especially with the holidays coming up. I keep seeing everywhere on the news. Everyone's like, you better order your gifts today if you want to get them in time. So <laughs> definitely I, something I to know. consider. The, the, well, yeah, and, and something you may want may not be there. We may have to go to our, our second and third choice gift uh, uh, <laughs> on our list to, to find something that we want to give somebody. I said everyone's getting gift cards this year. Keep it simple. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good thing to do. <laughs> um, so taking this inflation rate in consideration, should people start or stop their Social Security payments to account for this? Uh, I wouldn't say, well, if you need your Social Security benefit check, uh, 
you know, certainly don't um, mm-hmm. starve yourself, you know, go on mm-hmm. and, and, and get it. Um, but it just depends on your personal financial circumstances. Obviously, the way the Social Security um, benefit is set up, the longer you can delay getting it, then the higher your benefit payment will be. So for anybody who can delay, just, just regardless of inflation, the way the, the formula works, if you could delay taking up Social Security, then your payments each month will be higher for however many months that you're going to continue to receive payments. So that would depend on people's personal financial circumstances. Mm -hmm. Definitely good to keep in mind. So we want to talk a little bit about economy in general, too. We've heard a lot of talk, and you mentioned, too, that during COVID about the economy and the impacts the pandemic has had. Can you talk to us briefly about the state of the economy right now? Right now, our economy is recovering fairly well. Um, just, just to, to tell you some of the economic damage that the pandemic did. Remember April 2020 when, the, you know, we were staying at home and we weren't really sure what was going on and, you know, businesses had to close. Uh, we hadn't figured out who was an essential worker yet, but the economy lost 20 million jobs in April 2020. And that is historic. Uh, mm-hmm. if you look at a graph of the economy, we have little blips and then and then these huge dips because of the pandemic. Right now, we are still about 5 million jobs uh, short of where we were before the pandemic started. So we haven't recovered yet in terms of the number of jobs. And, and again, just think about in the travel industry, hospitality industry, probably they're up and running, but they're not at full steam like they had been before, perhaps. So uh, our economy is still recovering, but we are also seeing, uh, related to inflation and the shortages, businesses are having a hard time finding workers now. That That is true. Mm-hmm. Um, we thought for a while that the extended unemployment benefits was, was a problem, but when the extended unemplo- unemployment benefits ended, we have not seen people rushing to work. So that was not really a reason. I think a lot of people are concerned about working in the, with the public and their their risk of getting um, you know COVID nineteen, and certainly for older workers, I, you know they they legitimately have a very reasonable health concern uh, if they're working, and the Federal Reserve studies retirement and and one thing they they figured out that we have now because of the pandemic, one and a half million more retirees than we would have had if we didn't have the pandemic. Basically, what the trend line would have been on retirement without the pandemic, mm-hmm. we now have one and a half million more people retired. So obviously, that's, that's due to the pandemic. And there's kind of good reasons and bad reasons that people had to retire. Um, if you're an older worker, there, there is a, an increased health concern. And uh, the Wall Street Journal had a, a very interesting article recently highlighting people who retired for different reasons. And unfortunately, some people were not ready to retire, but they felt they had to because of, of health reasons. And and those people definitely need their Social Security um, benefits, but, but they may have taken up Social Security sooner than they would have anticipated uh, because they felt that the workplace was unsafe. But we've also seen people, uh, the rising home prices, and, and we have had rising value in the stock markets over the past year, that uh, they were able to accelerate retirement because they were more comfortable um, financially due to the pandemic mm-hmm. uh, to be able to retire. So we have 
we have more retirees now for a variety of reasons, good reasons and, and, and I guess bad reasons that these people weren't ready to retire. We are speaking with Professor Ann York. She's a professor of economics at Meredith College, and we're going to continue our conversation with her right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Hey, don't forget, if you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care, you can go online anytime to transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Sam Peterson. Our guest on the line is Professor Ann York. She's a professor of economics at Meredith College, and we're having a well-rounded discussion. We covered Social Security and inflation, and now we're focusing a little bit on the uh, macro things with the economy and also getting into the labor force and retirement. And, um, you know, as Professor York was saying, Sam, this is just a really unprecedented time. You know, that 1.5 million people retiring earlier. It really is. And I, and I feel like we've seen that a lot too in the healthcare spectrum on that kind of side of things. I know a lot of nurses or healthcare providers who were probably already getting kind of close to retirement and the pandemic just kind of was that extra push they needed and said, you know what, I think I'm just going to retire a little early. So, I mean, we're definitely seeing it in healthcare. And then Obviously, um, a lot of hospitals, nursing facilities, home health, home care agencies have, are really feeling the labor shortages, too. It's been so so tough to navigate. Um, and kind of in that, um, Professor York, we wanted to talk to you about, we have a lot of our listeners who are caregivers. And we know right now that demands for those who are taking care of a loved one during the pandemic definitely increased. We for sure felt that, that we've talked about that on the show before. Um, so do you think that that has also impacted the labor force? Women have been impacted more so than men um, due to the pandemic. If you look at the labor force participation rate trends between men and women, uh, you know, obviously they both decreased when our pandemic hit, but men have recovered more so than women. And it was really interesting. August of last year, um, w- the women's female labor force participation rate was rising, but it would look like schools were closed last year. Then mm-hmm. uh, women, it's obvious women weren't going back to work. And and this is uh, the because of the caregiving needs, both for young children and for um, you know older adults that people could be caring for, uh, this has taken a lot of women out of the labor market. Um, and unfortunately, you know, caregiving is a need, and, and it should be a paid need, but unfortunately a lot mm-hmm. of it is uh, unpaid. But I think years from now we're going to see a lot of damage to women's career and women's financial health because they did have to take so much time out of the labor market at this mm-hmm. time, again, for their, their children or, or um, older adults that they're caring for. So um, it would be nice if, if there could be some legislation that would recognize informal caregiving and and some type of stipend that would pay family members to to take care mm-hmm. uh, of older adults 
but um, we, we don't have uh, that complete package yet. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know, you know, in talking to just people within my own circle, I know, you know, we talk obviously a lot about caring for aging folks on the show, but I know schools being closed impacted a lot of people. Um, I know people who had to move back to working PRN or, or part-time just so they could um, be home and help their kids with school. So that was definitely a huge impact on our labor force out there. Well, and, and I'm not sure how much of some of the accelerated retirement could be um, older uh, parent, grandparents trying to take care of some grandkids so because the, the parents are working and it was easier for the grandparent to to stop working than it was for the parents. So that could have been another reason we saw a retirement accelerate. Mm, so true. Uh, so I know we've been seeing a lot of, of shortages in staff, like we talked about, um, for healthcare industries. Do you see that hopefully kind of turning a corner like some of our under, other industries out there? Well, something that people haven't been focusing on is the, the vaccine mandates. And mm-hmm. um, there there does just seem to be a good solid number of people who really do not want to get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And until those people are willing to be vaccinated or or we don't have to require it anymore because the the threat uh, of covid-19 has has gone away uh, i don't know i think we we could still see these these shortages until the covid-19 issue gets resolved which i'm i'm sure it's not going to go away it's just going to be it can live in the background mm-hmm. and not be as devastating as it has been uh, we're going to continue to see the, this impact on our labor market and and probably shortages uh, throughout the supply chain. But the Delta variant is is decreasing, and I am just super hopeful that this is like the last spike that we've seen. And if, if this is the last spike we've seen, then I think the next few months things will calm down and, and we can you know get back to normal like we keep talking about. Mm-hmm. Although, of course, I think our normal now is a new normal yeah. because of what all we've experienced. Professor York, um, uh, in talking to you and thinking about economics, I'm having flashbacks to old <laughs> supply and demand charts, uh, you know, some traumatic, some not. But, um, you know, I'm thinking about this uh, shortage of workers. What, what is that likely to do to the price of care, if anything? Well, whenever there's a shortage of anything, the price of anything uh, will go up from your, if you remember, your supply and demand curves back in college. <laughs> and uh, we are seeing wages go up, and some, unfortunately, some of the lowest-paid jobs are caregiving jobs, mm-hmm. and uh, hopefully we'll see wages rise uh, in that sector, too. But with the wages go up, that does mean that the price of the care would go up, and, you know, how many more people could afford the, the care if they're paying privately? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, you know, what would Medicare or you know, Medicaid uh, pay for the care? So we have to have those rates be able to go up, too. Um, the reimbursement rates need to, to rise in order for the workers to have a pay increase. But if you have a job that's higher paid, all else held constant, you should be able to attract more workers to that job. Yeah, that's that's definitely the hope, and that's something we've been looking at, too, um, across healthcare. Uh, so last question for you. We're Like we mentioned earlier, we're approaching the holidays. Everybody can feel that chill in the air and being bombarded with Christmas <laughs> commercials on November 1st. <laughs> so is there anything that our listeners can do to help 
some of these local businesses survive. You know, we've seen in my hometown, I live in Clayton, I see a lot of my local businesses that I love and adore that have just really been struggling during all of this with labor shortages and just trying to keep their doors open. So what can our listeners do to help their local businesses survive? And kind of how can we help to stimulate our own local economy? One thing to think about is is the gift of an experience, and it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a gift of a of a good. So take the family out, assuming you know you're comfortable eating out uh, at a restaurant, and you know, take the family out to a nice dinner and support our local restaurants that have been suffering uh, so much. Uh, you can um, you know go uh, on like tours, take you know vacations maybe. And that's that's a good way to support the North Carolina economy. You know that we got the beaches and the mountains here, so maybe think outside the box a little bit. But certainly, um, you know, our small uh, local businesses, whatever stock they have, buy it. You know, whatever whatever's in stock uh, mm-hmm. in their stores, you know, uh, buy it and just browse around and and do what you can to see what the local businesses have to offer, whatever they have available. And uh, and buy it there rather than buy it from, you know, Amazon. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely guilty of being a little quick on that Amazon trigger. But at, at this year for the holidays, I'm definitely going to try to be more conscious about purchasing some some more local items. And, and you really get more unique items that way. So a great way well, to and shop. I think a, a lot of our local businesses have also increased their web presence. So um, it is possible now to shop locally and shop online to browse around to see what they have. Yeah, I know a lot of um, a local shop I love in Clayton has started doing that where you can order online and pick up in store. So, so a lot of these places, that's a good point. Check out. They're making it very easy for folks to do so. Right. You just have to search a little harder to find their website, but uh, just search for their business name online and you probably can find uh, some type of web presence that you could order online from them. Yeah, anything we can do to help out lo- the local economy is perfect in my book. So, yeah, let's take advantage of that. And Professor Ann York, Professor of Economics at Meredith College, thank you so much for your time today and for this informative discussion. I, I can speak for myself. I certainly learned a lot. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. Well, it's my pleasure. I want everybody to have a, a good feeling about economics and not dreadful memories from your college days of learning <laughs> economics. No, no, no. It's the, the supply and demand curves. I, I, it's a happy feeling now, Dr. York, because you, uh, <laughs> okay, you helped me there. You. Thank you so much. Well, we are going to take a short break, but we'll be back with more. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Sam Peterson, and we're now going to continue our series on coping with 
grief over the holidays. You know, we've mentioned this before, but uh, of course the holidays can be an exciting and fun time for most. But for those of us who are dealing with the loss of a loved one or uh, maybe several loved ones or a spouse, it, it, it can be a very tough time. And uh, for those of us who aren't dealing with that, it's important to put ourselves in their perspective and to have some understanding. So uh, again, we're dealing with the acronym COPE. We've gone over C and O, and today we're focusing on P, which stands for planning. And to have a full discussion on this, we're pleased to welcome Cassandra Smith. She is a bereavement counselor for Transitions Grief Care. Cassandra, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. Well, as listeners know by now, I am not Haven, but <laughs> I have listened. I have listened to the information she shared, and will refer back to it some as I share with you. I'm so appreciative of being given the opportunity to speak on a topic that can be essential for grievers during the holidays. As a clinician, I'm well acquainted with the escalation of emotions that often occur during this time of year. So it's important for grievers as well as those who journey with them to know that there are things that can be done to help manage what can be a most difficult season. And the choices that are made can make a world of difference in how a griever is able to move through. So when you consider normal grief reactions and how demanding, draining, and sometimes overwhelming they can be, consider how much more will likely be experienced during the holidays, a time where so many are planning to be with loved ones and laughter and parties and fun activities, but the griever, the griever is not likely in this space and at least not as much as others are during this time. While I'll be sharing some ideas on how to plan for this time of year, it'll be helpful to reflect on what Haven shared in the first two segments on compassion for self and on the value of open communication. So here's a quick review. Um, as explained in segment one, compassion towards self is crucial during grief, not only during the holidays, but throughout the entire grief journey, honestly. Self-compassion is extending to yourself the compassion you'd extend to someone else who's hurting and recognizing that it's normal not to be normal and it's okay not to be okay. Another definition that I really like for self-compassion is identifying what you need and being a mentor to yourself. A mentor is an experienced and trusted advisor. It's someone who provides guidance and emotional support. The griever may need to be this for themselves as they're trying to figure out how to attend to their needs. Segment two is on open communication, which is most certainly important during this time. So think about it. Being heard and being honest in your communication of needs and desires after a death can be a challenge for a griever. Each loss in, in its uniqueness is not something that's been experienced before. So understanding what your needs are and how to communicate those needs can feel as foreign as your loved one's absence does. But it's important to find the words and to communicate your preferences for what you feel is best for you. 
people say they want to be there for you and want to help, well, let them. Let them have it. Let them be there as best you can. Establish boundaries as you communicate honestly what's happening with you. So keeping in mind the importance of compassion and open communication, let's look at the P in the COPE acronym, which again is planning. In planning for the holiday, let's consider how empowering it can be. Planning helps take back some of the sense of control that's often lost after someone dies. Taking time to think about how you'll engage in the holidays can relieve some of the pressure of feeling like you have to always be on. Or, as I once heard it described, it takes away the pressure of feeling like you have to perform for the sake of others. This would be helpful at any time during the grieving process, but particularly during the holidays when there can be quite a bit of pressure to show up and to be happy or to have fun. So while you're planning, it's important to remember that feelings of loss and all the work that goes into engaging in the world around you without the physical presence of your loved one can be quite an exhausting experience. So pay attention to your body. What is it telling you? What is your mind trying to alert you to? Thoughts and feelings serve a purpose. They may be saying, hold up now, wait a minute, let's reconsider this decision. Or maybe they're saying, come on. Let's engage. Let's go for it. So plan to take time and pay attention in the moment to your heart and your mind. Another thing to remember in your planning is to be careful not to overextend. Remembering that you're not operating at your normal capacity. While you don't want to overextend, it's also important not to isolate. So Try to spend time with those you love, but only as you're able. In making plans, you might find that you want to redefine your holiday expectations. Maybe your plans don't heavily involve festivities and parties and such this year. Maybe this time will be a transition year for new traditions, possibly smaller engagements if you're used to being a part of large gatherings or Spending time with new people might be a thing for you to try. It could include taking the money that would have been spent on gifts and giving it to a charity in honor of your loved one. Plans may simply be spending time with yourself and your memories, possibly just snuggling up with a blanket or a movie or a book, some special treats, which for me would most certainly include chocolate, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, or perhaps lighting a candle and just reflecting, or whatever it is that brings you comfort. One of the purposes for making plans is so you have an idea of where and how you'll spend your time. Notice I said a plan is an idea of how you'll spend your time. Since the grief can be quite unpredictable at times, it's important to allow flexibility and do what works for you even if it means communicating a last-minute decision not to attend an event. Be aware of this possibility, and when accepting invitations, make it tentative. Maybe saying something like, 
yes, I'd like to be there and we'll plan on it. But to be honest, I'm not really sure how I'll feel when the time comes. Or simply just responding to an invitation with, I'll try my best to be there. These types of responses can release some of the pressure of feeling like you have to show up while it can also increase your willingness to give it a try. If you did choose to be a part of festivities, plan to take breaks. Maybe give yourself 30 minutes to be a part of what's happening around you. Then do a self-check-in. Take a few moments to assess what's happening with you. Maybe set an alert on your phone or have a support person with you who can give you a reminder to check in with yourself to see where you stand. Having a support person who can maybe run interference for you can actually be a very great resource. I remember stories in counseling sessions of clients who use code words or phrases that only they and the support person knew. Some pretty innocent code words like, I think I have a taste for some strawberries or <laughs> I feel the hiccups coming on. <laughs> And, um, of course, I'm not so innocent, so I won't be <laughs> you. But the point is, the experience of using these codes took some of the pressure off and even brought a few laughs. So I encourage you to find creative and maybe fun ways to be able to retreat when you've had enough. It really can be quite comforting for a griever to know there's an extra plan that doesn't draw attention during a time where they're giving it all they have to keep it together. Another thing to remember is to be careful in planning for who you'll ask for support. Well-meaning friends and family often believe they know what's good for you during the holidays. And well, while they may have the best of interest or best intentions, you are likely the best resource for yourself. So, Talk to trusted friends and family about your wishes during this time so they know how to be of better support for you. Just be around people who will allow you to just be, to be however you need to during this time. So in closing, a few reminders. Though this can be hard, there are things that can be done. Plans that can be made to support you as you move through this time. Know that even if plans don't go as expected, that's okay. Plan to go with the flow. Take the pressure off. Also, try to remember that the anticipation of the holidays without your family member is often much harder than the actual holidays themselves. So that's it for now, but I do hope you can find something in what was shared that might work for you. Oh, that was fantastic, Cassandra. Thank you so much. You know, taking that extra step and planning and thinking things out and having that thoughtfulness on what you're experiencing and what you're feeling, I, I think, as you said, will really go a long way. Thank you so much, Cassandra. We appreciate it. That was that was excellent and very helpful. 
You are certainly welcome. And again, thanks for having me. She is Cassandra Smith. She is a bereavement counselor for Transitions Grief Care. And as I said, we'll continue our series on dealing with coping with grief over the holidays. We're taking a short break. I feel the hiccups coming on. We've got to take care of that. (laughs) You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. If you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care, be sure to go to transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Sam Peterson. And Sam, we want to focus a little bit more on placement mm-hmm. and what we need to look for, maybe what we need to try and avoid when it comes to placement. Yeah. And I, this is something that I get asked a lot by families in, in my role when I'm working with them about you know, maybe they're seeking placement for a loved one. They need to find a skilled nursing facility or an assisted living. And they're, where do you, how do I decide? You know, there's hundreds of thousands of them out there. And it can be really difficult um, to pick one that is the right fit for you. And that's what's important. Um, So one of the first things I always recommend to people to start just to kind of get a baseline is to uh, go to medicare.gov. And they have a great tool called Nursing Home Compare, where you can go in, type in your location by zip code, what type of provider you're looking for, and do a search through there. And they have a great tool that pulls up um, their star ratings that we know are done through Medicare and through the state. Uh, And also, you can look at some of their recent inspection reports which are helpful. It can help you look through some of maybe the issues they've had in the past. And it also shows too, not just the issues, but the corrections that were made, which I think is really important to remember too, because I think sometimes people can look at those and say, oh my gosh, you know, they have all these corrections. And, you know, it's sometimes keep in mind, they can be really minor things. Um, But it's kind of good to go and look and get a baseline. Uh, Another thing I tell people too is, you know, don't just rely on those reports, but if you can, go and take a tour because you can drive by some places and kind of see on the outside. But I think it's so important to go inside the building where you're able and look around. Um, Most of them are really open and happy to take you through a tour of the building. And it's a really great way to get an accurate picture. You can see the other residents, how they seem, meet the staff, which is huge. Um, You know, where I am at in Johnston County, there's, you know, they may not be the most grandiose buildings out there like there are in some other areas of Raleigh, but the staff and care they provide are wonderful. So it's kind of that old adage of not, you know, picking a book by its cover. (laughs) Uh, So really going in, taking a tour and You know, I know with COVID restrictions, that has been a little bit difficult, but I have seen some places have been offering virtual tours where they can. So, you know, I just suggest calling them and reaching out and talking to their admissions director there and seeing kind of how they could set that up for you. Um, You know, talk to family and friends, too, if if they have had loved ones in facilities, um, they may be able to make some good recommendations to you um, based on their experiences. But, you know, Again, every person is different. I wouldn't 
take that for for gospel too. <laughs> well, well, that makes a lot of sense as well because you know uh, I can only imagine that when folks are looking for placement that oftentimes they're in the middle of a crisis. Yes, and, you know a lot of us haven't studied up on the differences between you know skilled nursing care or mm-hmm. uh, you know nursing care. You know there, there's a lot of different things to, to cover in a short amount of time. But, you know, talking to family and friends and getting an, uh, at least just sort of an idea of what they've been through, you know, that's also going to help you maybe take mm-hmm. the edge off a little bit from that anxiety and that pressure where you're, you're dealing with a crisis and you're like, I got to get this. You know, I got to find somewhere, somewhere to go as soon yeah. as I can. And that's that's a good point you brought up because a lot of families I talk to that is nine times out of ten the scenario, you know, they've had a hospital admission and, you know, it's been a big change right. in their loved one's status and now they're all of a sudden needing placement and thankfully at the hospitals you know the case managers will help you do a lot of that work it also is dependent on where your loved one is accepted i think that's a lot of a thing someone a lot of people don't realize too you know depends on bed availability um you know insurance status whether you're going to go for rehab days a long term so you know there's a lot of stuff to work out in there but you know i would suggest to people just kind of do some light research even if you're not in a realm of my loved one needs to be placed in a facility right now do some research ahead of time so you're not caught in a moment where it's a a rush situation and you're having to make a rush decision Um, so really arming yourself with some of that knowledge beforehand can be good you know keep a little list in your mind of of some what if scenarios I'm a big some people may say I'm paranoid (laughs) but I like to plan ahead and I like to have a solid plan um, so you're not making game time decisions like that yeah, that's that's the key. There's getting a step ahead, and also on that idea of talking to friends and family. You know, if if you know someone, and maybe you're not in a caregiving situation, but they are, and you know, they're maybe describing some of the things that we're talking about. Ask them some questions about you know that process. One, it's probably going to be a, a little bit of a release and a relief for them to kind of definitely talk about <laughs> what they're going through. But two, it's also a, a good way for you to get some information about that process and what it's like, and maybe what some things that we you may not expect uh, looking in from the outside. Mm-hmm. And I do want to kind of do a shameless self plug too. Uh, at Transitions, we do have a, a great program, our, our caregivers program. Um, so you can call in to Transitions and ask to speak to our caregiver support program, and they can also help you to find some some good direction for resources, just even beyond uh, nursing facilities or assisted livings. They can help you point you in the right direction there, too. Yeah, and getting any help and assistance that you can in that regard is, is so helpful because, as we said, this isn't – well, you're an expert in this, but uh, <laughs> most of us aren't spending the day you know, with the talking to these facilities and, and learning what the differences are. So uh, there's a wonderful service that Transitions Life Care provides, and if you want to learn more, be sure to go to transitionslifecare.org. We are out of time for today, but we hope you will join us again next weekend. Thank you so much for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.